0: or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024.
2: None of that ever happened. What it was, was a friend of mine mentioned uh, one day, said, hey dude, I think I could get you an audition. And in that conversation, I said to him, Hey, I heard Foo Fighters are looking for a guitar player. And he actually did wind up getting my name thrown
3: in the hat. Episode 385, Chris Shiflet, solo artist, but also lead guitarist for Foo Fighters. Punk rock veteran. I mean, the guy's done it all. I think we could have done two different episodes. One of him just talking about the music that he likes and creates, and one of him just talking about Foo Fighters. I mean... It's funny to hear him talk about the difference in touring, like when he's by himself versus when he's with Foo Fighters. Yeah, what a crazy difference. And how one of them is wildly rich and one of them is a uh, solo artist. You know, still trying to make it, figure it out. But I really like Chris Shifflett. Um I, I liked him more than I thought I would. Not that I didn't think I would like him, but usually when guys come in from L.A. or New York, they just feel a bit different, mm. even if not purposefully. I thought he was awesome, didn't you? He was really nice, yeah. Just like chill, walked in you don't know, he's, he plays hundred to hundreds of thousands of people with Foo Fighters. Like, he's one of the faces of Foo Fighters. So, I thought it was super cool that he came over uh, because he was playing a show in town at the Ryman with... Who was it? Blackberry uh, Smoke. Got it. So, he's got a song called Black Top White Lines. Just came out. Here, go ahead. you Hit that. And he recorded it in Nashville. He wrote it with Jaron Johnston of Cadillac 3 and John Osborne of Brothers Osborne. And so we talk about a lot of stuff, including Foo Fighters, growing up in California, uh, his, his family, and, you know, just life as a dad and also as a rock star. So you can follow him on Instagram at Shifty71. Mike, what was your biggest takeaway from this interview? I love it. Anytime we talked about the punk rock stuff, like, that's what I knew him for. like, before Foo Fighters. So you did know. I didn't know if you knew him before or you learned that he was in those groups in the past no the band he was in no
0: use for a name i've seen them
3: live before before like after he left the band but one of my favorite bands growing up really yeah dang you really were into it then huh? yeah it was awesome like foo fighters are one of my favorite bands of all time so it was super cool here he is chris Shiflett. i'm just genuinely interested in for example you and your career like i have just been a fan of different things that you have done So people come to my house when I'm really interested and we'll do an hour and then this gets put on in a lot of places. Right. This lives as a podcast that does, you know, seven-figure streams Then I put it on other shows. So the answer is it's a lot. Yeah. And sometimes I, like I was at the doctor a little bit ago because I got like a a sinus infection which, you know, when you get something here or here and you have to even sing because, you know, you're doing your stuff now. Oh, yeah. It's like a ball player having a hurt ankle. Yeah, I don't think people realize how
2: much, like, when you're, because, you know, I've historically been the guitar player in a band for most of my, you know, adult playing life, and when I'm out doing my own shows, even this week, I mean, I'm doing one show this week, I'm just coming out here to play at the Ryman, um, and that's the only gig, but, like, both my kids were sick this week. And all week long, leading into this, I was like, "Don't hug me." I know.
3: <laughs> I mean, that's the life that I live. Is where I'm always worried I'm going to get sick. Yeah, and I think it's where the germaphobe part of me started. I, you know, my I come from a very humble upbringing, and so I have to show up to work. I always had yeah. to show up to work. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, if I get sick, I can't work, and if I can't work, I'm gonna. And I still deal with a lot of that now. Yeah, but answer the question, um, I like you and that's why you're here. Otherwise, <laughs> we, you know, we'd have done it at the studio for 10 minutes and right, it would right. have been a thing. But yeah. It, yeah, it's I probably do 5, 10, 15, 20, this, I do a sports show, just audio-wise, 30 hours of content a week. Wow. Which gets to be, a lot, that's why I don't lie that much, because I can't remember. Right,
2: right, right. Or I would, I yeah. would just do some. I thought my 45-minute podcast that I do like once every, you know two weeks was, felt
3: like a lot. Well, it is. If, <laughs> it is if, you know, I'm like a marathon runner, though. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You, we train all the time. That's what you do. Yeah. You, you go and you do it. You know, for me, I was thinking about you when I was coming over here, um, and I, well, I, my point was I left the doctor a second ago, and um, I have nothing wrong with me except like a week and a half ago, I had a sinus infection that had developed from a cold, and I just couldn't get rid of this, like this last lingering cough thing. It just stays for like a, two months, right? And so I go, and he says, you yeah, got nothing wrong with you. It's just one of those where your bronchial stuff is all yeah, in, inflamed. And so they put me on this little machine and you're like, it's like you're smoking a, a clear pipe of health and <laughs> like it's, it's foam and steam's coming out of it. And he says, you're going to be a little like lightheaded and jittery when you leave this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. I left the doctor like this, I'm just jittery as crap. So I'm pretty high. So we we might get into some strange territory. Who knows where we're gonna go? That was my point here. Good. Hey, cool. Uh, So let's go. First, it's super cool to have you here. Just thank. I'll geek out on that part for a minute. Just super cool to have you here. Um, Been a big Foo Fighter guy. Well, always like my whole life. And so I've known. And when you become a big fan, you start to not be a fan of just the songs or just the lead singer, but how the different entities came in and developed. And so I'm very familiar with your story Mm. and super cool. You're doing your thing now. And I would definitely want to talk about the fulfillment there and just the life that you've lived. And as I was kind of getting ready for this and thinking about you were coming, I spent the last week in California. I went over and hosted some um, red carpet stuff for the Emmys and just some whatever. And I lost track of what day it was, meaning was that Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday? And I live in a space where I've got to know what day it is all the time because I'm on the air Monday through Friday and I'm touring, I'm traveling, I got to know But I wonder the lifestyle that you have lived traveling so much. Do days even matter for the most part? You know,
2: I mean, I I think that there was a time maybe when I was younger when I just didn't pay attention that much to what day of the week it was and did a
3: Wednesday know. matter versus a Friday? No. Well,
2: it matters when you're, you know, when it, it when you're in a band and and um and you got to play on a Tuesday night somewhere, you know. And those are always like the weaker gigs, you know. Because and I'm thinking more like before I was in the Foo Fight. like sure. when I was in, I was in a band called No Use for a Name, and um, yeah. So you pay attention in that sense. But I I think like uh, having kids, and I'm and my kids are pretty grown now, so it's been a long time. But that that made me turn back into like Monday, you know, paying attention to to Monday through Friday a little bit more in that sense.
3: It was tough for me because. I live on such a regimented, I have to, I, I mean,
2: I, I'm pretty regimented. To, I mean, to be honest, like do? in order to do like, cause like I got a lot of, a lot of balls well, in the air all, all the time. So I, my life is pretty compartmentalized and it kind of has to be, you know, I gotta like, I gotta be, I gotta be dad first thing in the morning. I gotta get my kids off to school and then I gotta get, then I have like a few hours where I can sort of do the stuff that I need to do for me. You're a calendar it, guy? Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, everything in? Oh, yeah, I know, 100%. Or or I just, you know, ask Shane, my manager, or I forget entirely. And then he's calling me like, dude, you getting on that interview or what? Um, yeah, no, like, you know, especially if, if we're in the middle of, like, Foo Fighters stuff, you know, then that's going to take up – that's that's a big – that's, like, your whole life, you know? So you're trying to fit these things sort of in the margins here and there. So, no, I, I got to be – it always drives me nuts when I'm dealing with people who are, like, li- living – living loose, you know, that that aren't paying attention to that. I'm talking to you musicians. Yeah, really. I mean, Um, creatives. Yeah, you know what I mean? Where you're like, dude, I got like
3: 45 minutes right Mm -hmm. now. Like, we gotta go. It's been hard because I do a lot of different things, and none of them great. I do a lot of things pretty well, but Ryan Seacrest, who I became friends with, I worked on American Idol for four seasons working with the contestants on picking songs, how to sing, that kind of stuff. I was on camera for four years there, working with them, and he, he said to me once, he said, hey, look, people have to learn to respect your calendar. I was like, what does that mean? He goes, if you say you got to go at four, you leave at four, and they'll never again question it. And so I then, I because and I was going to ask you how you're juggling this because I do want to get and have a lot of things that, to talk about about y- your new project. But I was like, dang, that's pretty good. Like, it's precedent. We have a meeting. I got to go at three. I'm going to show up on time. And then I got to go at three. Okay, it's three. I got to go. And they'll never question you again. <laughs> now, when you got a lot of money like Ryan, I think it's a little easier to walk out of that. Sure. But I thought it was great advice. Yeah. And with what you're doing now, and can I Mike, can we have a clip of Black Top White Lines, please? Yep. So it's black type, and lines. Hit the, shovel in the, trunk with the So you wrote this song with two of my friends, which is pretty freaking cool. Oh, uh, right on, yeah. yeah. So Jaren and Jaren John. And John yeah. Two, I mean. Those are like my dudes. I love great them. And I, you know, great dudes. And when I hear you, do, they are great dudes. Yeah. Like just as humans, the best. And great musicians. And I gotta say,
2: Jaron was like uh, really knocked out, knocked it out of the park producing this record.
3: Well, I, that's what I was gonna ask about the production of it. Cause when I hear this, cause I'm big Cadillac 3, like I grew up in the South. So I grew up being kind of forced and then eventually loved like real Southern rock, but also soul um southern rock the tone guitar tone mm-hmm. a bit and when i hear this i can definitely hear some of that jaron production influence
2: well that riff the riff in this so the main riff of the song that, boodle dan dan yeah. that is jaron all day long he came into it because we were gonna uh get together to write and we were doing it over zoom because it was like during the lockdown or whatever and um and before, before we jumped on there he was like hey man you you know it's a cool with john osborne Joins us. I was like, yeah, of
3: course. Um, John was probably nervously waiting, like, okay, man, just let me know if he lets me into this. Oh, God.
2: Uh, it's probably, cool if he doesn't. It's cool. It's cool. Probably it's cool. not. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> but, but I was stoked. Yeah, I was like, you know, made it made it that much better. And um, But Jaron brought that riff into it, you know what I mean? And then we kind of wrote the
3: song around that. Mike, will you hit that again for me? Oh, yeah. So when you're putting out, and you're the face now, it's you. It's just, I mean, it is. It's you now. It's just your name. It's your face. No band, by the way. I mean, it, you have a band, but it's you.
2: Y- yeah. You know, and I'll tell you the reason why, and I, I, I didn't do that for a very long time. Um, when, like, when I was a little younger, I intentionally, even stuff that was basically like a solo project. Like, I had a band called Jackson United that was, you know, legitimately a band here and there, but with a bunch of different lineups. And then I was when I first started doing some kind of more like americana flavored stuff. Um, I had a band called Chris Shiflett and the Dead Peasants, and I just found like every time I would go to make a record, every time I would go to do some shows, it would always be different people because you can't really keep a full time band together when you're in a full time band. You know, right. what I mean, it just doesn't work. Um, Unless so, you want to pay
3: them a salary just to hang, and right. you, don't well, do yeah, that. What, yeah. you know, yeah,
2: that's that. That, that ain't an option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I finally just kind of like, you know, like grudgingly just make it my own name. You know what I mean? Like, but but it's interesting because with each record and then with each like tour, like, you know, groups of shows we do, you do have these moments of like, you know, like the, the, the group of musicians that played on my new record. It's consistent for the most part all the way through, you know, all 10 songs. There's a little bit of change here and there. Um and all those cats make a massive impact so it's like you just it's like it's like having this little mini band relationship for a couple of sessions you know
3: yeah and i guess my point with saying it's just you is okay dead peasants it's still you i mean uh, a lot of artists tom petty had the heartbreakers we could go through all the people who had great bands with them yeah. as well but this sound that you're making is just you this is just your sound now jack white can do and we can go through all the different versions that he does. But and they all have slightly have a different sound. It could be Jack. But this is just you. And so you have to decide who your presentation of you by yourself, what that set, what the sure. tone is, yeah. what the do, do you think about that? Or are you just like, man, let's just make some music and see what happens?
2: I mean, I think about it a little bit. Like one of the first conversations we had when I asked Jaron if he would produce um Produce this record was was we had the conversation about like kind of pushing me into into unknown territory or you know sort of sonic territory that was that was maybe a little uncomfortable or something i hadn't done before and like this first song was definitely definitely we definitely went there what you know?
3: sonically because it sounds so natural because i know those guys and i know you but what sonically to you i don't want to use the word hesitant but what sonically to you made you kind of wade in a little slower because you weren't that accustomed is it that is it the tone? Is it the, the...
2: Yeah, it's just maybe an overall gloss on the whole thing. or something. I don't know, you know what I mean? It's, it's probably more in my head than anybody else. Like, it, it's funny because as a musician, you tend to just overthink everything. I know I do. I always do. Um, and overthink how it's going to be received and all that sort of stuff. So, um, And the song's not out yet, so I guess we'll find out pretty soon. When By the it time this, out, hit, when <laughs> this airs, it'll be out. Oh, okay, cool, yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. cool. Um. yeah, so, uh, uh. but, you know, the response so far in the, the little snippets that I put up, like, there hasn't been one comment on my Instagram that's like, this sounds like a radical departure for you. You know what I mean? So I think that's stuff that, like, we think about more than anybody else. I think most people just listen to music. As, they just take it as it comes. You know, do I like this or do I not? Does this make me want to dance? Does it make me happy? Does it make me sad? I don't think most people sit there and think about, production elements and all that kind of you know that that maybe the musicians yeah. think about and the difference between this type of you know what a, a rootsy americana sound is versus a slicker more kind of like you know radio friendly you know all that kind of stuff i just don't think people the average listener just doesn't care
3: and they don't and when you said gloss i don't you know this is me and you and i've heard that song a bunch i don't really hear gloss as, a, as a, that's not either a compliment or it's no, it's nothing except I don't hear gloss. I just hear like a like a, um, a pivot a slight pivot that feels like the narrative's a little more honest interesting And again that's just there's no real definition of art yeah, yeah. but it feels like a, like your your narrative feels a little grittier. And I don't hear gloss at all. Well, that's that's good to hear.
2: Maybe gloss was the wrong word, but like you know, I use I mean? all wrong words. So I mean, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like um, I do think that this record, when you kind of add it all up, it's got like, like, and I feel like like I edge closer to this maybe with every solo record I, I do, which is more and more kind of all of my musical influences represented, the, the, the big ones at least, you know, the Stones. And, sure. But whatever, bad religion or jawbreaker or something mixed with you know Merle Haggard and Buck Owens, like it's kind of all in the, in there. Ever, the Eagles, ZZ Top, whatever it is, you know, it's just kind
3: of it's all in there. You ever have be so influenced? And I'm not, and this is not the same thing as uh, because I'm a comedy, and I I definitely don't steal jokes on purpose. But there are times where I write things that are similar to other people because we have like minded sensibilities and age. Sure. So this is not that type of question, but it's do you ever feel like you're so influenced by an era of the Eagles and you've written this song and you're like, man, I just hear like 70s Eagles so much that I can't stop hearing the Eagles from the 70s. Not specifically a song, but like you were so encapsulated by whatever that motivation was when you wrote that song that you're like, man, this might be a little too much Motley Crew. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but like it, I kind of
2: feel like it's usually the opposite. Mm. It's the thing that you think you're like, "Wow, it's a little close to the bone. You know? <laughs> like maybe, maybe that's, you know. A little too much borrowing, a little too much influence is like. Then other people hear it totally differently, you know. Because I think that's a big. I think that is a big part of music. I think we're all borrowing from the, the people that we grew oh. up listening to, or whatever, yeah. and oh. or even just the current stuff. And but then you put it through your filter, and it becomes this this different thing.
3: You like being the front guy. You like singing. I do like singing. You lo- let me ask I mean, it again. Let me ask it again. Do, do you love singing?
2: I, you know, i'm I i can I came to singing late, you know, versus playing guitar. I mean, I, w- I would I it's 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 that's a interesting question because it's something that slowly I've gotten more and more comfortable doing. And even in writing I used to sort of view writing the the lyrics and stuff as almost kind of an afterthought and and whereas that's more like front and center to me now as when I'm when I'm writing. But um, yeah, I mean I, I would love to someday be able to sing. With as much ease and sort of like, um, I don't know, just the kind of like not even thinking about it thing that I feel like I do with guitar playing. I don't think I'm there as a singer. You know what I mean? I still got to like work at it. Yeah, but I good. like it and I enjoy it and it's fun. you know, And it's fun to like, to even just playing live, like to see what kind of works and doesn't work and putting a show together and and um, and, putting and a kind of in, interacting with the crowd. You know, it's that weird thing that like you, it's hard to even put your finger on you know sometimes you just feel like you're so connected to the crowd and sometimes you feel like there's this wall between you and you know what i mean and and to try to like you know sometimes after shows like god why did that feel so good tonight you know why was why was that spark there with everybody in the in, in at the bar or whatever
3: you know what i mean and have you found a difference in exactly that the sentiment you're making there have you found a difference in being the front guy and technically how your stage is set up meaning if i do comedy music i can't wear ears because i have to hear laughs right if i'm doing just music music and we're part i have to wear ears so i can hear and so there are for different reasons monitors versus have you found that being that guy up front now technically you maybe you've had to rethink how the stage is set up or how it's technically coming to you well i am a recent
2: in-ears convert so you went? Wait. You
3: ever wear ears forever?
2: No, I was earplugs for a long time, but I'm just sort of recently started, especially with. But earplugs saying,
3: with sound. You're saying not well, just Well, like,
2: like those molded earplugs. Yeah, okay. No, with no okay. sound, which is a, which is the worst thing for a guitar player. Wait, it a takes minute, out all the high end. It's annoying, but, but, you're but you're you trying can to still save your hear. Ears. Oh, you can still hear. Yeah, but it's like you know those molded earplugs that they're they literal ear.
3: Okay, you got to talk. Take it down for me, Lover, Okay. I'm dumb at this. So I wear ears to do my radio show because it's also visual, but you can't see. They're not they're not the molded ears, right? But they're plugs. But I can hear everything now. You're saying I'm talking just straight ear plugs. Why would you plug your ears to save
2: my? Because I spent so many. Do you know how many years I spent in little garages? I hear you, but you with, don't need to with hear the, everybody with the symbols else. Symbols right here, just going like. I remember I went to go get my hearing checked like probably 15 years ago. And uh, it was not too long after we first started having kids, and the, and the doctor just freaked me out. He's like, "Yeah, you don't care now, but you know, when you're my age and you can't hear your grandchildren, or you know, mm-hmm. the, so you're gonna care." And I was like, "Get me the thickest earplugs <laughs> <laughs> possible." But no, now I'm, now I use in ears, you know, yeah. like what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And for God, that's the greatest thing ever for for singing. I mean, yeah, it just sounds blow, like, and you don't blow your voice. You out. don't blow your voice out. Yep. It just sounds like you're singing in your head. Yeah, it's the best. So, okay, you got to help me out on because I was never really plugs. comfortable with 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 loud monitors on stage. But how do why. you
3: hear the the bass? Are, are you are you just running like a metronome in your? I mean, what are you doing if you're playing with earplugs? I'm not getting it. I'm dumb right now, Chris. You know what you're doing? You're overcompensating
2: and just turning your amp up. That's what you're doing. So it probably amounts to the same thing.
3: Okay. So yeah. you can still hear oh, yeah. well, you
2: Well, the, there's the fancy molded ones that have like little different um, caps where you can you know, bring it down 10 dB. But in,
3: the, but in the plugs that you're wearing?
2: Well, the, the ones that I used to wear. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah.
3: I never even heard of that.
2: Oh, Damn. yeah.
4: Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
5: Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris (sighs) Teeter.
0: Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
3: You started playing guitar at what age? 11. Do you feel like you're someone who music came to, I don't think there's a such thing as easy, but more naturally, did you understand it quicker? Um, I
2: wouldn't say that. I think, um... I was lucky that I grew up in a family of musicians. You know, both my older brothers played and played really well and were, like, really good by the time I ever picked up a guitar, which was probably a little daunting, and I was a terrible student. It wasn't really, like, a guitar student. I would just never really practice what I was supposed to practice and all that sort of thing. Um, and, like, you know, this was, like, the early 1980s, So, and I was listening to people like Yngwie Malmsteen and stuff, so I would, I remember, like, everyone would talk about... Oh, you have to take classical guitar lessons because that's what Ingve did, or that's what Uli John Roth did, or all these guys that that we all looked up to. And so I was a little kid, and I would go take classical guitar lessons. I could not figure out how that connected to like the Ozzy Osbourne records. I was it just didn't make any sense. And so I just wouldn't play it. You know, what's classical? And it wasn't until it wasn't until I started playing in bands in high school that's when I started when it started to when I started to get like you know more fluid.
3: Sure. But what's classical guitar? I know classical piano. But what do you learn at a classical guitar lesson?
2: I didn't learn anything.
3: What do you say? Okay. What are you supposed to learn? Do you learn like Well, you're supposed no? to re- learn how to
2: read music, Got which it. I could never really do. And like, you know, it's a lot of finger style, you know, like, you know, beautiful. Uh it's almost like almost like a level of discipline that I just I wasn't recognizing in the heavy metal Music that I was listening to couldn't figure out how that became that, and I just wanted it to be that, you know.
3: As you have two brothers that are both playing guitar. How come you didn't get stuck with the bass? Usually, they. Well, my, st- my yeah, my brother
2: Scott. My first, my brother Mike started playing guitar. Then my brother Scott started playing bass. So he was like a. So basis. he got it
3: then. Okay, he
2: did, but he also just you know took my brother Mike's guitar and figured out how to play that thing better than than all the rest of us you know so well, he kind of did it all
3: you get drums you're hansen if they just give you drums of i of know get-
2: well i'll tell you I, because my older brothers were guitar and bass respectively my first choice was piano i was going to be a keyboardist and then my mom even bought me a piano and then i never i didn't take those lessons either so it just eventually i just had to pick up the guitar it just had to be that you know that was that was the era it seemed like the the guitar player in in all those bands, was always the person that I was drawn to.
3: Born and raised in California? Yeah. Like Beach, California? Yeah, oh, yeah. Santa Barbara. Like, okay. Yeah. Surf, California? I mean, I actually came to surfing kind of
2: late, you know, relative to a lot of other people, but um, but I mean, I grew up at the beach anyway. So Do skateboarding you... and what a boogie. I, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that when I was a kid, I was a boogie boarder.
3: It's a sponger. Is that the thing on your knees? Not on, <laughs> Not on your knees, but uh. like, you know, the more a boogie you know i just i grew up in arkansas so i don't have any i don't even like the beach because i don't get it it's only because i was never around it like my friends that grew up either going on vacation to beaches or they love it and i'm like i don't what do i do i just sit there
2: yeah uh, that's eventually you pick up a surfboard and then it opens up
3: that whole thing i tear an acl at this age yeah
2: Yeah. i've never even been
3: skiing because i'm so afraid to, to go tear an acl at this point yeah I'm scared well, of everything. everything. Well that it could happen. That is it's it's dangerous. You are And then there's the sharks. Yeah, I, that doesn't scare me. I did I, I've done shows on Nat geo Animal those animals, I'm all good. We're good. I'm Dr. Doodle. I'm freaking Dr. Doodle out there. They don't hit me. Can't tear an ACL with a shark. Well tear my head off, then I'll die, <laughs> won't even know it. You have two brothers. You have any other siblings? Um I have a stepbrother
2: okay. who was uh who was around a lot too. Music at all? Um, he played a little bit, but not really, but he was more of a musical influence just because of what he was listening to and, and, um,
3: you know, just
2: bringing that to it.
3: Mom and dad, were they together? They were not. And yeah. did you know, I, I didn't know my dad at all, my left, so, uh, did you know your mom and dad? Yeah, so my mom and dad were together, uh, we
2: lived, I was born in Santa Barbara, my dad got a job out in Maryland, so we all moved out to Maryland. So when I was real the little, stay.
3: do you move all the way across? Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah,
2: and then my parents separated. My mom moved back to Santa Barbara. So then there was a few years where we were bouncing back and forth like we'd be in Maryland for a little bit, then we'd come out to Santa Barbara back and forth until like uh until my mom finally got custody of us full time. And then my dad stayed out there and you know, sadly now cuz my dad passed away when I was a, uh, you know, around 28 or something and I never lived in the same town as him again from the time that I was after about they, six.
3: After they split? Yeah. yeah.
2: And he moved back to California eventually, but he was a couple hours up the coast. So, Did you ever do
3: the drive
2: all back, the way across? N- no, but there was a funny story where my, um, we didn't know this because, you know, we we're just little kids, but when, when <laughs> we figured it out after the fact. When, when my dad, like, officially lost custody of us, he just went like, all right, everybody, get in the car. Going for a drive. And we drove, like, to, like, uh, St. Louis or something.
3: <laughs> so, about halfway? <laughs> yeah, about halfway. We're like, what are we doing? Your mom, was she musical and in her, her love? Did she listen to a lot of music? She,
2: my mom had what I thought at the time was the worst musical taste in the world. Some of it, in hindsight, not so bad. But she would do this thing like she bought this Anne Murray record. and There was like one, whatever the hit was at that moment. And she would just play it over and over and over. But if it wasn't Anne Murray, it would be like, you know, stuff that like now I can appreciate like James Taylor and Fleetwood Mac and stuff like that. But um no, we got more of the music stuff from my dad. My dad had kind of hip taste. Hip as in rock
3: metal type. No, tastes. not at all. Or like hip hip R&B. Like,
2: like this is the Beatles, this is Bob Dylan. Got it. You know, even like, you know, when I was when I was in the seventies, I remember him listening. He would listen to like almost nothing but Stevie Wonder and Bob Marley. And stuff that we weren't, you know, like I didn't I'm not gonna pretend that I liked those records necessarily, but right. but it was on in the house and you know, it just kind of seeped in. And it's stuff that you would sort of you grow up a little bit and you go Oh wow, that was better than, you know, the the Wasp records we were listening to or whatever.
3: Is your oldest brother's interest in how good he got a guitar? Is he the reason that your other brother and yourself are in music or were in music? Did it yeah, start with...
2: oh, pretty much. I mean, it all started with him. He right. was the first one that got a turntable and got some vinyl, and you know, and we all got hooked.
3: So what's 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 his deal? Was he a good artist? Does he still play? Is he is he alive still?
2: He's a yeah. He's a, he, oh yeah. He's going. He's a guitar teacher at the shop. Jensen Music in Santa Barbara that we all grew up taking lessons from.
3: Man, that's how you know he's good.
2: I know. And when he got th- I mean, he's done that for a long time now, but God, man, being a guitar teacher made him
3: like a million times better, and he was already real good. It's like studio like session players here in town, because there are guitar players or instrumentalists, whatever, and they go on the road, they play all the big shows, and it's like, oh, cool, you play guitar for him. And then you meet somebody who's like, yeah, I'm a studio session player. for, oh, Oh, you're good. Right. Like, yeah. there's a There's a real difference in, and no offense to you, because you're obviously awesome, but I'm saying these technical guys who can look at a chart here in Nashville and go, all right, I'm going to do three sessions today. We're going to walk into this one. Got it. All right. It's crazy.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I know, because some of those cats have played on my records, and yeah, it's it's humbling, to say the least.
3: What about writing? Because obviously you've written songs in all capacities, but now for this project... How, did you write different? I don't, I, and that's really not a good question. But sonically, it's a bit different. You say you're challenged, the writing side of it, same feeling. Yeah, well, a lot of these songs were
2: written during the lockdown, so it was a, weird, it was just a strange moment in, you know, in life. Um, so some, I'd probably about it's probably about fifty fifty in songs that were co-writes with other people, and even that was a little bit different and kind of weird because you're doing it over Zoom um you're not just like sitting in a room with your friends but um and but then but just the writing process for me probably not much different um but the process of making the record was very different mm. it was over time so by the once we got to the end because we recorded in three different sessions once we got to that last session it was sort of clear uh like the kind of the elements that that needed to be there that weren't there yet and that's what we were kind of aiming for so we're sort of going through I'm sending Jaron little home demos and stuff and trying to figure out you know what songs we should
3: uh we should jump in there and record. Why here though? I mean I Jer, obviously Jared John but why here? Why Nashville? Why are you basing this whole thing here?
2: Um well I made my last couple records before this out here as well. Um and you know for if you're making like kind of roots Americana country tinged music, can't really can't really go wrong making it in Nashville, you know?
3: Your, isn't your podcast based like Americana Country? Yeah. Or maybe yeah, yeah. not. Maybe, maybe not country less so much. Kind of
2: less so now, but like yeah, that was that was the that's been the main focus of it.
3: If you who are your musical I don't want to say heroes, because when people ask me that question, I tend to answer a lot cooler than I really feel. So I'm gonna say, who do you who do you listen to a lot, even now? And it can be old music, because a lot of the stuff I listen to is just stuff I loved. 10, 15 years ago, especially when I'm trying to relax. Yeah. Yeah. i not a big new music guy whenever I'm just trying to chill. Sure. Who over the past 25 years will you still put on and just go like, man, this is some good music. I'm just going to drive somewhere. Yeah. Um,
2: 25 years. Well, like that first Sun Volt record is a huge one for me, you know. And when that came out, that was really like, that record was one of my big introductions into like, you know, I don't, I, back then, I think it was just called Alt Country, but what you know mm-hmm. we all know is Americana, or however you want to look at it. Um, that one never gets old to me. Um, especially, I mean, I just have like these vivid memories, because it was really the singer in my old band, Tony Sly, was the singer of this band, no use for a name that I was in. And he was into all that stuff, you know, and he would always bring an acoustic guitar on tour, and so we'd be driving down the road in our van, and he'd be sitting there, you know, strumming Sunvolt songs and Whiskey Town songs and, mm. you know, the Wilco songs. Like I was going to Tupelo and all that, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, he's the one that turned me on all that. And then through that, I found, you know, whatever, Steve Earle and Lucinda Williams and even you know, Merle Haggard and Buck and all the, and you know, I just kind of
3: worked my way back. I was just about to go to Wilco when you said it. Yeah. I had it queued up. Well,
2: those first couple, you know, the first couple Sunvolt records, first couple Wilco records, just, yeah, I could never get enough of those records.
3: What about as a kid? What did you love at sixteen years old? Ooh, sixteen. Well, okay. So, I
2: when you know when I first started going to shows, I mean, I was listening pretty much just like heavy metal was what the, the music of the day, and and then there was this this change that happened where around like eighty four, the glam rock thing started cooking up in in LA, and there was a band from Europe called Hanoi Rocks. Yeah, I, I, I know that is, yeah. Yeah, and so I discovered, I got turned on a Hand on right Rocks right at the end of them being a band, because they basically, they had made a bunch of records, but then they put out their major label record, The Drummer Dies, and the whole thing falls apart. But as that was all kind of happening, we got, my brother brought home that last record, and then, you know, like with everything else, you just sort of work your way back and get the other ones. But that record had a massive impact on the L.A. rock world. And all these bands started coming up, bubbling up like, you know, Guns N' Roses and Poison and and Jet Boy, who's from up north, and Faster Pussycat and Ellie Guns, and that whole thing. And this was like pretty early in that, like probably like 85 ish, started to go see those bands. And it really was like, so I was, yeah, I was in around like 14, 15, 16, in those years, as that whole thing was kicking off. Um, I would go to, we were just going down, it just seemed, my memory is we were just going down to LA all the time to go see those bands like the Troubadour and
3: At 16, the 17? Country. Go-
2: oh, yeah, no, I mean, I started going to shows when I was about 12 or so. And then, and I look back on it as a parent, and how do, I'm like, how do you do Why that? did my mom <laughs> yeah. allow this to happen? And but, how did you get But in? We would go, and even before that, I was going down to see like, you know, Keel and Armored Saint, all all that kind of stuff. Because they were all ages show, all the shows were all ages shows. Um. And then maybe somewhere in the middle of all that in really kind of like in high school, like where I grew up was just far enough away that there was no like rock and roll scene, really. And so if you were going to see live music, it was punk rock or it was thrash metal or it was something like that, you know, or some like weirdo college band at, the, at UCSB. And so it was this cool, that time was just cool because it was all this mix of music happening and, you know, you're sort of getting turned on. To all this different stuff, and like me and my, I had this little tight group of friends, and and we we were into this thing that was happening in L.A. that eventually became very mainstream. But at that moment, you know, for there was
3: like a couple of years there where it felt like it was like our little secret. You know what I mean? Your mom obviously didn't throw a fit, or she didn't know you were going to these shows. But do you think it's because you had two older brothers blocking for you? A
2: hundred percent. Yeah, she she was she was broken by the time I came along. She'd given up. <laughs>
3: And did you guys ever, because the age, if you were, your oldest brother's how much older than you? He's about seven years older. Okay. And your middle brother would be how about much older? About five. Yeah. Okay. That's significant
2: in yeah. age. But did yeah. you
3: guys ever bond as brothers and have real true brother moments over music? Oh, for sure. I like, mean, Where, where, oh, where you were all cool with each other? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Tons. Tons. But sort of as we, you know, as each one of us got to a certain age, you know, when I was a kid... Just whatever my brothers thought was cool, I thought was cool.
3: But would he ever think you were cool at 15? And be like, hey, 15 year old, come with me. I'm 22. And our other brother's 17. Let's get in the car and go to a show.
2: That probably never happened. I mean, maybe here and there. Maybe more so me and my brother Scott. Because me and my brother Scott also, like, you know, played in bands together and stuff. Like, you know, like lived in LA together. And um, so there was probably a a little bit more of that with him. But yeah, no, we we all kind of broke off and had our kind of specific musical interests once we got to a certain age you know and and it is a funny thing cuz like i learned so much about playing from my brothers but we probably never sat down and had them go like okay here's how this lick goes it was just kind of osmosis it was just mm-hmm. being in the room
3: did you were you ever good enough to where the older brother would go hey that's pretty good kid
2: uh not when i was like not when i was a teenager <laughs>
3: no you
2: you know what I did? I did a few years ago. We were making a a, a documentary, a Foo Fighter documentary, and 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 I went back and found all the old like footage of my high school bands that I could get my hands on. You know, like the drummer in my band that played the ninth grade talent show I had a video of that, and then you know another person had a video of this and that. And so I I wound up cobbling together my ninth grade talent show, this club gig when I was in maybe tenth grade. And then a gig when I was a senior, or when I would have been a senior. Um, and so it's just really over the course of like four years, and it's wild to see. It's like the first one, you can't even tell what we're doing. It's we're playing Kiss songs. It just sounds like it's madness. Nobody's playing the same thing, you know, just total chaos. The second one, it's like songs, but it's really stiff and janky and not very together. And I'm trying to play guitar solos, and it's not really working. You know what I mean? And then by like that third one we're like kind of shredding, you know? Like it's, it's like you could see the evolution of just like, because it was all we did it was just play, you know? We were either playing keg parties or, you know, bar gigs once we could sort of start to get them and, or just rehearsing in my friend Luke's garage. Or We just played all the time, you know? And the
3: more you played, obviously, the better you got. Yeah. And the more, the more you played, I mean, it's like the Beatles in Germany and they play clubs for 12 hours a night. Yeah, of course they got great. Yeah, They had to. Or they wouldn't have been able to survive. They'd to learn everything. You evolve
2: really fast, and then you just kind of hold steady for, for the next 40 years.
3: <laughs> you, in uh, Rat Pack, did you play bass? I did play bass in Rat Pack. Bass in a punk band. Is it considered punk? Would you consider that punk? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, the, the edges blur for me a bit. Sure. Through punk and thrash and Well, especially,
2: and... you know, I mean, at that moment in time in punk rock, like like, you know. Rat Pack was was like a local punk rock band in Santa Barbara where I was at, but like they were also listening to Guns N' Roses and stuff. So you get a little bit of that. Nobody wants to admit that now, but there was there was a lot of crossover.
3: What's a bass player? What's the uh, the, the common thread in a bass player in a punk band and a guitar player in a rock band? Because I feel like
2: overplaying. I remember the guitar player in Rat Pack one time, and I was like, yeah, I was probably like sixteen, so I didn't and wasn't really a bass player, but. Um, I remember at rehearsal him stopping us in the middle of the song. He was like, dude, quit playing lead bass. It's
3: not lead bass. It's just bass. Just stop. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Did you take to bass pretty easily from playing guitar at the house? I mean, you're a kid. But-
2: no, nah, I, I play bass like a guitar player. My brother plays bass like a bass player. It's a different thing.
3: It's. I tried to play bass a little bit, and again, I'm not... I mean, I'm close to as good as you, but not really. But <laughs> not at all. But it's, it feels like I'm walking with different legs to get to the same pl- destination. It's like, cause you know, the guitar, nah, you, you, especially if it's like a rhythm guitar. But bass, it's like I'm having to play notes in places where I never even heard the note to begin with, and I'm setting things up. I'm building like tables for other notes to sit on. I'm like, this is way too smart for me.
2: Yeah, I think, like, when I'm playing bass on, like, my own little demo or something, I always try to play, like, it's, like, one of those real, like, less is more kind of... instruments. Like, guitar player, you can kind of be clacking around, floating above everything else and making a racket, but a ba- the bass, I don't know. I, I guess play- it depends on the genre, too, but it's, like, for most of the stuff that I'm doing, I'm trying to, like like, not just kind of, like not fill every
3: little nook and cranny. Mm, see, it. I'm music illiterate, and I need to prove myself, so I'm trying to fill everything. I'm trying to fill every nook there and there cranny. But when I played Longview the first time, I was like, I'm good. i am put it down after Green Day. Boom, 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 And I was like, I'm good. I'm good at bass. I just mastered it. I'm good to go. go. Yeah. So Guns N' Roses, obviously, massive just in general in the 80s. And there was a story that I read about a friend of yours. Did he go and audition for Guns N' Roses or tell you you should?
2: No, my buddy. It's funny because that that thing I should have never told that story um, in an interview because it you know, didn't 25 even make sense years when I ago read when, it. Well, yeah. So it's it's this funny thing that's become like a, like a internet rumor that has set it stuck straight to me right now. This ever, is ever, I know, but so okay. Here's the straight. I ne- I was never in Guns N' Roses. I never auditioned for Guns and Roses. Guns N' Roses never asked me to join their band. None of that ever happened. What it was was a friend of mine. Um, mentioned uh, one day, said, "Hey, dude, I think I could get you an audition for Guns N' Roses," and this was in '99, so this was right about the time when I joined Foo Fighters, right? And in that conversation, I said to him, "Hey, I heard Foo Fighters are are looking for a guitar player. Could see if you, you know?" And he said, "Oh, I know somebody that works with them. Whatever." And he actually did wind up getting my name thrown in the hat when they were having auditions. So that's how I got how I wound up auditioning for Foos. But um but that was the like and my buddy Bill, he didn't work for Guns N' Roses. There was no official anything. And that was at a time when Guns N' Roses wasn't even Guns N Roses. It was like Axel and and you know it's like none of the original guys were in it besides Axel. Axel. So yeah, let's just put that to bed right now. I never played in Guns N' Roses and I and I would have gladly played in Guns N' Roses had anybody ever asked. <laughs> Especially if it was like nineteen eighty seven. You know what I mean? Um and I was also never a professional soccer player. That's another one of those weird internet rumors. That
3: yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah, that one. That one's following me. Uh, right. I wish, wish I had been a professional yeah. soccer player. That would have been great. I'd like to clear up a couple things myself. Yeah, uh, I was never an astronaut. That's right. I, I was never a brain surgeon. I don't have a massive wiener that people have heard about. It's not. <laughs> well, true. that's uh, uh, you're going to keep quiet on. on that one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, All on. right. Good.
4: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card.
3: Biggest crowd that you guys have ever played in front of?
2: I don't know. I remember, and this was a long time ago, we played Rock in Rio 2000 or something. I'm assuming so. that's in Rio? That's yeah, in Rio. Okay. Well, you, it's funny you ask, because they also did Rock in Rio in like Lisbon, but which wasn't in Rio. But um, yeah, no, Rock in Rio, actually in Rio. And I remember at the time, maybe somebody said it was like 100,000 or a couple hundred thousand people. It was big. And... uh Get more nervous. It's, it's th- got to be still up there. Yeah. No, you get less nervous for that. Yeah. You get less nervous for that because it's so big, it's just like you can't even see people's faces.
3: What about your shows
2: now? Way more nerve-wracking, especially if they're sparsely attended. Those are the <laughs> most nerve-wracking of all. Do you watch people's faces? I have a bad habit of when I, it's my solo thing of, of like getting distracted by watching people's faces. Especially if like somebody's like looking at their phone. But what if you're so singing? Or somebody's like, like it's your, worse your, when oh yeah, no, totally. yeah, yeah, okay, no. yeah no that's Talking about your show totally. Yeah yeah no. Yeah and I still and somebody's like looking at their phone and like elbowing their friend and they're laughing and all of a sudden I start to think about like what's that guy doing? And then I forget the verse. That <laughs> word. You know what I mean? Um, yeah.
3: I gotta I gotta figure out how to just tune the crowd out, but stay connected, but tune them out. I, I drive myself crazy because if I. I can't assign my feelings onto other people, and I've even been to therapy where I would go out and I'll do a theater of a couple thousand people. I'll be doing telling jokes, rocking it. If I see one person that looks like they're tired or yawn, yeah, or get up, and it's a theater, so it's not really the environment where people get up. But if they get up, I'm like, God, I'm a suck. Totally. And so I isn't just, that the weirdest thing with performing? Like and, it's so easy to misjudge a crowd, and because I've assigned how what I think on them. Right. Well, if they're yawning, they must be like me. And when I yawn, I'm bored. Right. They may have a yawn disease. What do I know? The old classic (laughs) yawn disease. Right. And so, what I I would talk to my therapist about it. She goes, "But let me get this straight. There's, I don't know, two thousand other people there having a great time. Yeah, laughing their butts off." But you see one person in the third row that's, like, talking to their buddy, or, and that's the thing that triggers you to go, maybe I, I'm not good enough. Plus, you immediately
2: assume that the thing that they're talking about is something negative about you. That's the insane Absolutely, part. yeah.
3: It's like if two people are whispering around you, you're like, oh, for sure they're talking about me. Yeah. They totally. probably heard that big penis rumor, and now it's, they know it's not true because I had revealed it. <laughs> and then here we are. Oh, yeah. And, you know, nine times
2: out of ten when you actually encounter, because I've had that happen where the person you in the crowd that you think is not enjoying themselves. You would like talk to them after the show, and they're like, "Dude, hey, that was the best." Mm-hmm. And you just have completely. And you and I always gotta remind myself, like when
3: I'm at a show, I'm not like in the front rows dancing and going. You know, know, know what I mean? It's like you know. I try to watch foreheads. Yeah, that is now what I try to do. I only look at foreheads and listen back. I tell you what, dude. Having played
2: in like punk rock bands in my younger years. It ruins your ability to judge a crowd forever because the because the bar was if there wasn't a big pit it wasn't a good show, and so you get conditioned and I will never be unconditioned to that that like the crowd has to be going mm-hmm. insane yeah for it to register is a, a good thing and I always have to especially with like with my solo stuff that like runs way mellower than punk rock you know even though a lot of it's like rocking it's not that kind of rocking. You know what I mean? It's are and, and not going to be moshin' at, at, yeah. at the Ryman. No. They, yeah, well, so yeah, let's you just assign I mean? that. Yeah, like, yeah. You're not yeah. going to be
3: sad when they yeah. are
2: not... And, like, they're in seats and stuff, so it's just not... Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it's, and it's, uh, it would be genre inappropriate.
3: Was that ever dangerous for you playing in punk bands that young? Because I would be scared to go. He, Mike is a huge punk guy, he goes to show still, and it's like he's very valuable to me. He's like my main guy, yet he's in there freaking making his neck broken... Like you I don't understand like I just feel like you would get hurt too. Um like you diving on drums, spitting in people's mouths. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think
2: anybody ever actually spit in my mouth, but yeah, I'm like I remember one time and this didn't really seem like scary, scary, but uh but you do have moments like this, like where we were on tour, um I was on tour with No Use for Name in and, and we were in somewhere in Spain. And we were playing, and the crowd was really like going bananas, and it was packed club, and, and there was like uh, all the bouncers were lined up across the front of the stage, and they were really manhandling the kids. And so we got on our high horse, and we're like, "Man, get the f out of here, and you guys bail!" And all the bouncers just kind of went like, "All right," and they all left. And then we started playing the next song, and it was just a complete oh, stage man. invasion, like totally insane. Come like, back. like, yeah, but Come you're back. Just, sorry guys. Okay, you were doing something after all. I get oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen stuff like that. I remember touring with, with Unwritten Law and, and we were down and, and when I was playing a band called 22 Jacks and uh, and there was, if I remember correctly, there was some, some the bouncers were being pretty rough and one of them was standing like in the middle of the stage, like not like crouched down, but like in the middle of the stage while, the, while Unwritten Law was playing and Scott, the singer for Unwritten Law, just kicked him in the ass into the crowd and it was like, that time I was scared because the bouncers wanted to kill everybody at that point. I think bold, if old move, I think we had to sneak him out of there in our van.
3: Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, lost at sea, the record itself. So I don't know. Whenever you go and you play these shows, and now you're having, and you've been, listen, you've been doing versions of this for a long time, right? Yep. So it's not like this, you're just going, I'm a solo artist now for my first time. Yeah, you have different kind of incarnations of yep. who you are. This to me is the first project like this that's just you. You can tell me yeah. I'm wrong. You, am I wrong? I feel like this is the most. From what I've heard of this, it's way it's different sonically, and it feels sure. like a way different you than I've heard through other versions. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, I'd say that's that's fair. Okay, so Lost at Sea, you're playing these songs. Are you playing? I don't know. Mostly songs from the new record. Are you playing any of the other versions? I don't know what you do. I think
2: it, it depends on you know like the like like if we're supporting somebody else and we have a, a shorter set.
3: Blackberry Smoke for example when you're opening for them, yeah. you'll like play three
2: what? three songs off the new record, okay? I think. Yeah. It's still two of which nobody will have ever heard. Um and then what else? And then songs from my last couple records. Got and then it. I put out a couple songs just on my own last uh summer, so I'll probably play one or two of those, you know. that's a question like, stuff like how that. you juggle that especially yeah. when
3: you're kind of r- not rebranding, but just showing a different part of who you are musically. Sure, yeah,
2: it's uh, it can be challenging to try to like you know because you want to just get up there and play everything, but you gotta you gotta trim it down.
3: Well, you do double time and get double the songs in. There you go. No ballads. That's it's right. Just faster slow Indeed. songs. Indeed. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, we'll just set the you know the click track a little
3: faster. Mike, I know you're a big fan. What, what's the deal here with you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up on fat records, so no use. Oh, for, right on. No use for a name. Me first in the game. It gave me my favorite bands growing up. Um, I think the thing I loved about Me First was punk rock supergroup. Guys did amazing covers. If you could form a supergroup now, like with some of your peers, who would be in that band, and what kind of songs would you cover?
2: Oh man, who would be in it now? Does it uh, of uh, God? I don't know. That's a tough one. Because G- Me First and the Gimmies just kind of fell together. It was just like the you know. Me and Joey were living in San Francisco at that time. Uh, we had just moved up there. Spike was working at Fat Records. Dave was, was living there because he was still in RKL at the time. And, you know, of course, Mike, would, you know, owns yeah. Fat Records. So he was there. Um, so it just kind of came together without like any real, any real planning. But I always thought it would be cool to make, like, to uh, corral a bunch of folks from out here and do uh, a really super badass, like, uh, classic country cover band mm. and go play parties.
3: Oh But there must be
2: like a hundred people that already do that. So I don't well, know. Not, but I've never done that. Yes. That would but, be fun for but, me. But
3: not not yes and no. The answer is yes, people do that. But not people that are superior. At least with accolades I'm basically.
2: inferior.
3: Well, okay. You can say that <laughs> That's
2: why I need a bunch of really good players to come make it sound really good.
3: But like, like
2: how cool would that be to take like everybody that played on, on my new record and go just play like you know, of just a classic, classic country cover set somewhere.
3: I think it'd be super cool. So fun, yeah. yeah. I think it'd be so- love it. Um, give me the analogy here. I, I'll set you up. Uh, if I do, i had a show on Nat Geo for a while on a small ish budget, and we had fine catering, and it was fine. You know, we go out, we're all over the country on location, fine. We had good crew, fine. American Idol network, best food, money's awesome, just. A lot more time. But there's a difference in the two. When you're doing you versus Foo, I'm assuming that's probably similar. (laughs) Well, if you
2: need a visual, uh, send your camera crew to the Airbnb I'm staying at right now. (laughs) (laughs) And that will clearly illustrate the difference. And if that doesn't uh, make it clear enough, um, I'll drive you around in my van that we tour in as well
3: is it a plus because that I say I've said it before not just here you're here I think the I think Foo Fighters are the greatest American living band right now period just oh, thank be, you. because two things one uh, three lots of hits still relevant and the length of amount that the time you guys have been relevant mm. meaning you're talking about decades and yeah, I did an alternative based show for a long time, and to me, Foo Fighters are extremely well respected and regarded and accolated, but still the most underappreciated band, one of them in music history. And I think underappreciated. Really. Absolutely, at, I feel like we're appreciated very much. So you can be, but you can also be overrated and be awesome, not Foo Fighters. But I'm saying you can you can be like, wow, that person's overrated, and they can still score thirty five a game and get nine rebounds. But the point is. I think because of a couple of things, you guys do not get the actual appreciation you deserve like some of the absolute greats of all time. I don't think you're great versus everybody. Now I don't think you're great versus everybody ever. At the duration of success, the hits you keep putting in the relevance now. You put out a new record now, it's still, boom,
2: goes well, I, up. I tell you, when you talk about the duration, it is funny because somebody posted um, on my Twitter feed the other day, I don't even know when this, I think it was, pretty early in me being in the band it must have been like the first tour some live clip and it just you just look at it and you're like oh my god we're kids we're like, like who babies was? yeah you know what year was that you think well i mean i joined the band in 99 so it, it was probably like a clip from like 2000 or so I, I don't know and like i'm wearing like sleeveless the thing that jumped out at me was i had a cut off sleeve t-shirt which dates it <laughs> from quite because i can't imagine i would be doing that anytime recently but
3: um remove foo fighters from the conversation just, just me and you talking about music. Yeah. Remove Foo Fighters. Name another American band that's got twenty-five, thirty years of absolute greatness. Just period. It can be from any time. It's a. What do you do? Who do you put there? No, it's, the Eagles.
2: It's, I yeah. I mean, you know, we're it's it's you gotta appreciate it. You know, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And you just you know when you're like in it and living it day-to-day you sort of you know i think one of the hardest things in life is to sort of be in the moment and appreciate it as it's all happening and it's like you never really do but when you look back over the length of time you just look at like exactly what i'm saying like i look at that video footage dude that was that was like several lifetimes ago you know i didn't i wasn't married i didn't have kids my son's in college now Mm. it's like that's it's literally like it's it's a long stretch
1: when we look back at
3: songs that you've written and they all come to my head and you know music for me if i hear a song that was a big part of my life at a certain point i automatically kind of feel like that pointing in even for just a second it's one of the cool things music or even smells of like old food does like oh my grandma used to cook that uh, okay i kind of feel that but it's like all my life is so you're one of the writers in the song right like you're a writer on all my life I mean, you know, that's a that's
2: like. Is that a, I'm not gonna claim writing like you know. Aren't like, you? But like, aren't
3: you on the? You're
2: on the. Where? Yeah, I'm on that record, but like, you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, that's it's, dude. That's Dave. That's Dave's riff, man.
3: No, okay. I'm not talking about the riff. <laughs> I just mean the song in general. But you're. Well, we the
2: all ri- we all played on it, but you know what I mean. So, yeah. you, but you're not. Uh, Do you get publishing for it? <laughs> we're getting into the weeds. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Right, so, but it's but at the same but that said, like I'm, you know, like Dave is very much the writer and the and the has always led the sort of creative vision of the band, you know. In that. I
3: wasn't, so, I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't saying he wasn't. <laughs> I just think of these songs and I was looking at through the notes what your names yeah. were on the publishing, so I just assume oh, he was on the publishing. He for sure is, you know, one of the writers there. Do you when you guys write? And I really don't have that many Foo Fighter questions, but you just put me onto another one. When you guys write, do you guys get in a room and just if you write, do it together, or does he come in, or do you come in, or is it different every time? It's it's changed
2: here and there over the years, you know. And um, and in the in the past, maybe we would we would spend more time. um, Like he would make like record some demos, then we would learn the songs, and maybe we demo them, um, and then get into the studio. And then there's been times where. You know, he just brings them in. We learn them in the studio and kind of piece them together as as we're going. Um, so it's it's yeah. a little bit of everything. Do yeah. you write? No. I used to get really hung up on demos. You know, Which, and what in, in we what we way? Would, well, like what what you know how like the, demo up went. With the demo Yeah, and like you know, and and that was well that was the part I played on the demo, and I really tried it. It's like I almost try to prepare less now to be more sort of responsive
3: and so you're not attached maybe if you prepare right. less that means you're not as and married to that the first time i ever sort of
2: learned that was coming out here and making a record with dave cobb which is like he even in that before i came out here for the first record i made with him he was like don't make demos and i did anyway i made like a bunch of demos but, but then
3: what's he want a work tape i mean then just record it in the iphone the general rough i think he would prefer you to just sing it in the room on an acoustic guitar and then, no, but and I'm then get saying, going yes know? i but what if you ride it's not here I guess is my point. You say don't make demos. Yeah. What? Because I like that, and I like what you just said there. Because you can definitely fall in love with the demo, and then anything that comes after, you're just like, I don't know. It's not really what I felt when I wrote this original. Yeah.
2: But it's way more fun to be open to just kind of getting banged into something different when you're
3: in the room. So if you write now, will you just write something and record it on your iPhone like in a voice note? Yeah, and then, you know, to truth be told, I'll still go make
2: a demo of it in my, in my studio, <laughs> but I try not to get stuck on it. That's the
3: lesson. Do your kids think you're cool? Um, not to my face. Do yeah. you ever hear, though, and it makes you proud that they've told somebody they're proud of you, but they won't tell you, but it comes back to you they are?
2: Um. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever come back to me exactly. <laughs> um. You know, my, my like, my kids are great I, th- I think like they've grown up with a you know they've they've grown up with a dad who has a really weird job you know and so they've been around that their whole lives and and i think it's i think it's it's totally demystified mm-hmm. like if if my dad had been in you know heart or something you know then i wouldn't have wondered all the things that i wondered about what happens on the other side of the you know backstage door or whatever so you know i think it's i think it's an interesting thing like i think my kids definitely appreciate the fact that i get to lead this weird life and they get to you know lead a weird life because of it um they they musical uh they've all we, i've forced them all to take lessons here. any and there. of them have a passion to do it for their life my youngest has gotten really kind of into it now yeah he, he they all quit playing my oldest wants to be a filmmaker so you know that's his thing uh that's his passion and um and then my you know they all played but my youngest has now kind of come back to it so we'll see do you ever practice do i oh god yeah all the time and not so much in terms of like practicing i don't sit like i might sit there and, and kind of woodshed on something specific um but i mean i just play all the time do you still love to play i still love to play
3: are you ever like i just wish i had a guitar right
2: now all the time
3: yeah And isn't that, if you can remove yourself from you, which is a hard thing to do, isn't that kind of awesome? That somebody who's done it through all different levels and stages and seasons of life, like, still has that thing that they've done and they still love doing. It's so rare. It's it's so, like, I'm thankful that I get to do what I do and still love doing it, even though it's a grind sometimes. Yeah. Are you thankful that you still love it? Totally. Yeah, because there was
2: a point... There was one point that I remember, and it was a long time ago now, where I was kind of like not playing that much in the off season and not doing much, you know. And, and, and then um, a series of things happened that kind of like reignited that feeling in me. And I just never, ever want to lose it again. And I know for me, like even when you're not feeling like particularly motivated or whatever, I just play through it. I just play. I just play. I bet it's, it's almost at this point like that never happens because it either, either you're writing or recording or rehearsing, or just sitting in my studio messing around with with amps and pedals and different guitars and so. There's just it's just always something. Are you on an eternal search for the right tone?
3: Probably more so now than ever. Yeah. And do you know it when you hit it, or do you still question it even though you got it? Uh, I think you still. I think you you hit it and then you lose it, <laughs> and then you start looking
2: for it again, or your or the you know what that is changes, or you hear somebody else and you're like,
3: whoa, how mm. did he do that? You know, why is the record called Lost to See? It's it's
2: a part of a line in one of the songs. Yeah.
3: Any lines in these songs that are super personal? Because I did see a thing where you're like, it's a very personal record, and that that I mean that is. Sure, I like that, right? Everybody's trying to write personal stuff because that's what we have that's different than everybody else. Yeah. But is there anything, a line or anything that's in there that's like, man, this is like a real personal and like, I don't know if I should even put that out there. Yeah, there's a couple. There's one of the songs. Um, you don't even have to highlight it now. I just wonder if that's ever a, a question. Yeah, no, there's a
2: song on there that I wrote probably like, I don't even know, long time ago when I was going through some stuff. Uh. yeah. You, so the, yeah, there's, it's it's funny because I don't think to anybody else would read it the way that I hear.
3: Which it. is why I don't want to ask you, know, you what yeah. it is, but it's yeah. just did you, you get in that place where you're like, man, this is something. If, uh, it, but good for you. I mean, you you hung in there. Did you pull any out though? In the same way, that was.
2: No, you know. I mean, there are definitely. It's a funny thing with songwriting because, like, there it's like, I like it the more specific it is, but then you know, it's usually a lot of these songs wind up being like. It's like 10 different things that become one story, so the whole thing's kind of just a fictional tale, yeah. but it's based on, you know, it's like every line is like from something that, that you experienced, you know what I mean? So it's like it's real, and it's just a story at the same time.
3: Uh, the most country song that you've ever written is on this record? I think so, wh- yeah. Wh- there's maybe there? there's a couple of them. There's one
2: called Dead and Gone, um, and there's another one called Carrie Midnight, Texas Queen." It's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. Did you consider just Midnight or Texas (laughs) Queen?
3: It's a lot.
2: I know. Naming songs and naming records, it's always kind of challenging. Do you write on the set list,
3: Queen, Texas?
2: When we learn it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now we're in that fun part where now I actually have to go in there and learn how to play
3: my own songs. (laughs) Everybody, chrisshifflettmusic.com. Go to, uh, on Instagram, shifty71. Indeed. I saw that you're on TikTok now.
2: Yes. Which... Well, I mean, TikTok- you talk about my kids thinking I'm cool? My kids roast me about my TikTok I, posts yeah. constantly. You're not. Dancing. They even roast me on there. Like, I'm not
3: dancing though, right? No dancing. Okay, good. No
2: dancing. But they're just like, oh my god, Dad, please stop putting like the little like dancing cowboy boots or like the filter. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody does that. Like, well, I don't know. That's it's an option in there. It makes it look sparkly. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, do you mean? Yeah. It looks
3: like snows falling. It's cool. The record is out in October, but when this airs, Mike, just making sure we're all, uh, Black Top, White Lines will be out. It'll be out. That'll be out. Yes. Um, also, uh, quickly, just want to just highlight a couple of, of songs real quick. Here is Long, Long Year. Here you go. It's been a long, long year, And here is Born and Raised. I mean, I I hear like uh, 80s eagles. Like, cause I, oh, right on. I love 80s. I mean, that's sure. the most complimentary way. like That's what yeah, makes yeah. me feel, that feeling I get, where yeah. it's just like,
2: ah, yeah. It's funny because something like that, that is exactly kind of what I was alluding to earlier, where in my head, I'm hearing it like Steve Earle, but everybody else hears it like the eagles. So
3: it's cool either way to mm-hmm. me. What if I said, uh, you know what? Chris, I hear the wiggles. <laughs> okay, see, exactly. Yeah. All right, you guys... Uh, follow Chris you're out on the road but what are you doing on the road I know you're with Blackberry Smoke here but are you with them all the
2: time no we're just it's a one off yeah we got you know I got offered to come out and open up are you doing doing other one offs Uh, here and there I just did a bunch of dates in December out on the west coast and then I've got um, a tour of uh, the UK and Ireland coming up at the end of March Um, and that's and we're working on trying to figure out some other stuff but yeah. Watch Foreheads.
3: That's it. That's what I'm going to leave you yeah, with. Yeah. I'm going right. to leave you with a nugget. That's right. Because obviously I'm your hero. So watch Foreheads. You learned from me. This is a big deal for you to be here. That's right. So, and it's actually the opposite of all I just said. I was super pumped to have you. This has been a thrill for me. I hope you had a good time. Oh, I loved it. We man. just yeah, did over you. an hour yeah. and um, love the, loved the music. Yeah. Oh, thank too. you. Love the music. Thank you. All right. there is Chris Sheffield.
4: This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History class.
5: Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
1: What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open and your mind out there, way out there, turning the unknown into cures, culture and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at UCSD.edu.